This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. My name is Monsignor Schumacher. We are in the second hour of our show, and I am coming to you live from my office, my studio-like office in Corpus Christi, the Church of Corpus Christi, where I'm pastor in Bismarck. I'm here with uh, Lori Leffer, and I'm here with Father Mark Ani, our parochial vicar at Corpus Christi. Mark, good morning to you. Good morning. It's good to be here. Great to have you on. You're becoming uh, a regular in at uh, Real Presence Live, and you will soon host your own show coming up, right? Right. Promise? Okay. Crossing my fingers. Very good. Mark Galley is, is our next guest. Is he uh, on the phone, pulled over, and all safe? Mark, good morning. Good morning. You sound loud and clear. You must have pulled over on a hill. Well, I, I pulled over somewhere. Right? Okay. I'm in the middle of nowhere right now. <laughs> uh, apparently, I, I have a Wi-Fi connection. I mean, I have a telephone connection, so that's you, all we need. You sound loud and clear, and welcome to Real Presence Live. Tell us well, a little great. bit about yourself. I, I haven't interviewed you before. I have not. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, currently, my current status is I am a happily retired person. I was the editor-in-chief of a magazine called Christianity Today. Uh for the last seven years, although I was managing editor before that. So I'm retired from journalism after spending 30 years in that. Before that, I was a pastor for 10 years, Presbyterian pastor. Before that, I was a student. There you go. <laughs> um, you you were formerly an Anglican? Yeah. So my, my uh, religious journey starts out nominally Roman Catholic, moving to... Presbyterian, and then eventually to Anglicanism. And and uh, I'm I'm looking at some of your work here. You you said that moving to Catholicism is not a rejection of uh, evangelicalism, but it, it, it's taking uh, it, the exist your existing Anglicanism deeper and thicker. Is that is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, many people think uh, you know when you convert from one form of religion to another, you're rejecting the, for, the former. But I can't reject evangelical uh, life that nurtured me for so many years, and really, with its focus on a personal relationship with Jesus, the importance of sharing the gospel with other people, I mean, I, I can't reject that. Plus, evangelicals in the world, for all their flaws, they do some really heroic things in the name of, the, in the name of Christ, and... Uh, so in a lot of ways, I still consider myself an evangelical, even though I'm an evangelical Catholic now. That is to say, I love Jesus, I want to spread the good news of the gospel. Now, as it's expressed in the Catholic Church. And of course, Anglicanism is is a short step away from Roman Catholicism. A short but significant step, I should say. They share a lot in terms of church tradition and liturgy, but of course there's some fundamental differences as well. But they failed Latin. I, it's, this is a bad joke, but Anglicans are Catholics who failed Latin. Have you ever heard that there joke? There you go. It's probably, it's, that's a bad joke. <laughs> that but would it, be one of their flaws. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. Hey, uh, Father Mark Ani has a couple questions for you. He's my parochial vicar, Mark, and he's doing the show with me today. This is a good, this is a good start. We, we just uh, finished visiting with Steve Ray, and uh, it's great to have you on the phone. Yes, Thank yes, you. Mark. I have a question or a couple questions for you here today. Yeah. Um, can you tell us more about your faith growing up? 
Well, for the first, as I mentioned uh, briefly, uh, although I was baptized a Catholic and took First Communion as a Catholic, I think that that was at the instigation of my father's mother, who was uh, more devout. Because I don't remember going to church hardly at all growing up, uh, if anything. I barely remember my day of commu- uh, First Communion, mostly because uh, I have pictures of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So between that time and the time I was 13... There was no religion in my life whatsoever that I can remember. Now, at 13, my mother had uh, become a, you know, she'd given her life to Christ a few months earlier, and uh, she started attending an a evangelical church in, uh, Cal- you know, Central California, Southern California. Uh-huh. And uh, it was a type of church that gave an altar call every, every week as part of their quote-unquote liturgy. And one Sunday, I thought, I just am tired of being guilty of the altar call. I'm going to go forward, so next Sunday I don't have to feel guilty anymore. So I went forward, made a tearful confession of faith. Next week, I felt just as guilty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, it was, it's kind of inter- it's an interesting phenomenon in the sense that it didn't occur to me that what I had done was false or should be questioned. It was clear to me that I'd made a decision to follow Christ. And the Lord has kind of held me to that ever since then. Yeah. All I, through I, the ups and downs of adolescence, yeah. it never occurred to me that I, I should I should drop the Christian faith. And at that point, I just began to grow and grow in Christ. I often tell my Protestant friends, we have an altar call at every Mass. Every Mass, we come up for communion, we're receiving the Lord. And exactly. You know, yeah. So I often tell them, you know, that's our, our yes. We're saying yes to the Lord. Enter me through the Holy Eucharist. Strengthen me and help me to grow in virtue so that I may become more like you. And, and that's something I, I, they kind of look at me cross-eyed, I think, when, when I say that to them. But, you know, we have the no, real presence exactly of Jesus. On, right? you, know, you know, so that's, that's a great, great I think that's great what's that interesting that. about the, especially the conservative, and I don't think you'll see it in many evangelical churches anymore, a weekly altar call. But it was a very much a liturgical part of their service. Yeah. Serving many of the same purposes as, as communion, but obviously fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. But still, this notion that every week you need to do something—you need to stand up, you need to go forward, you need to—you need to do something to maintain your commitment to Christ. Yeah. So, so what was your experience that brought you back to the Catholic Church? Then you said at thir- at the age of thirteen you started going to the Evangelical Church. What sparred within your 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 soul? to bring you back to the Catholic Church? Well, I think even starting early in my, uh, probably even in seminary, I had a friend who converted to Catholicism, and I found a lot of his reasons for doing so were pretty attractive. And then, so slowly but surely, I just uh, became increasingly well-read in Church history and Church tradition. Uh, probably a turning point for me was that when I was editor of a magazine called Christian History, it was a... Uh, Protestant-based magazine, but we it was a quarterly that uh, we had a theme every issue. It could be uh, me, um, like persecution in the early church, one issue, and uh, revivalism in America, another issue, etc. Well, one one time we were doing uh, an issue on Francis of Assisi, and I was just so impressed with uh, with his person and his character and his devotion to poverty and his devotion to Christ. And then in the evening, because I, I've always been a, an amateur theologian, I, I always try to keep you know well read of 
of theology in all all world, all parts of the uh, Christian world. I was reading John Paul II's encyclical uh, Veritatis Splendor in the evening before I went to sleep. And uh, mm-hmm. one night I just thought to myself, this, this is an amazing church that produces both the St. Francis of Assisi and the stunning mind uh, imbued with a very Catholic sensibility of uh, John Paul II. And that was probably the part I started to think, okay, I need to take this more seriously. And it was still a number of years away before I actually made the made the turn, but that was a that was certainly a an a, a, an important turning point. Yes. I, go I, go ahead, Mark. I was go just going to say that you know, I, always, I often tell people that our Catholic faith is rich, and it, it's nothing it's nothing compared to the Protestant Church. I don't want to knock them, but but it's a deep. We have a deep faith. We have philosophy. We have a deep theology in our beliefs from scripture and from tradition, and that it's it's takes a lot of chewing and regurgitating on on beautiful like beautiful writings from uh, encyclicals from Saint John Paul II, and and even Francis has some beautiful beautiful writings that he's done on encyclicals. Just um, you know, for us to grow in our faith and to see the depth of our faith and the beauty of our faith and the truth of our faith. And that's what I tell my kids at the high school. Yeah. Our faith is based on truth, and truth always prevails. And it will, and it, will, it and will the withstand Catholic, the rest of time, yes. And the word Catholic really applies. I think that's one of the things that's attracted me. So you have a, you have a, uh, you know, uh, you have St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross and Thomas Aquinas and Dor- Dorothy Day and John Paul II and Francis and uh, Irenaeus and uh, you had the variety of people uh, all yes. across time and space, mm-hmm. east and west. Right. It's we have great, great church fathers that have, yeah. have taught us and, and brought us to the traditions and their great writings that we even study and read today. Just, it's very beautiful. Mark, as we come up on 13 minutes past the hour, um, it was this, uh, September 13th, you, you were confirmed, right? Uh-huh. And uh, you, you took the name St. Francis. I, as a former Presbyterian pastor, you were editor-in-chief for Christianity Today. How, how did, did your conversion, um, just elaborate a little more, affect those relationships, even with your own family, is my first question uh there have been a few people you know as a as a writer and as a i publish something called the galley report every friday so i have a small following of people who pay attention to what i do very few people have been said anything negative when they have sent me things they've sent me tracts about catholicism from the it looks like from the 1950s 1960s they're dealing with a with an ancient almost an ancient view of catholicism they don't seem to understand What's going on in the church today? Uh, but other than that, it's been—I've—I've I've been surprised how positive people have been. Even people who've said, "I have no interest in becoming Catholic," but I—I I understand that this is, if this is helpful for you, that's fantastic. I bless you, and I'll pray for you. And same thing for my family. Uh, you know, some people are simply mystified, but nobody is really hostile at all. Or I shouldn't say nobody. Very, very few people. Probably my most strongly reformed and Lutheran friends, uh, theologically uh, strong, 
are mystified and disappointed. But even the people who said they're disappointed that I'm leaving evangelicalism, they, they're happy that I'm going to be, be able to contribute something to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Mark Galley is my guest. Mark, what uh, as you discerned your uh, conversion, your confirmation to become Catholic, uh, as you prepared for that Sunday, September 13th, what are some aspects of the Catholic teaching that, that you struggled with? Any, well, any have, in particular? Yeah, I have to say, I've, I've been asked that question a lot. And I will have to say, I didn't really struggle, uh, and then this may, may seem naive, but I never really struggled with anything. And here's a couple reasons why. One is, once you've swallowed the idea that God became man, <laughs> born of a virgin, rose from the dead, <laughs> if you swallow that, everything else seems like, okay, if that's what the Catholic Church believes, and they, they have good reasons for believing it, I'll try to understand what they believe. I mean, uh, when a Protestant first bumps into things like the Immaculate Conception and other things like that, uh, bodily assumption, you kind of go, well, I don't know about that. But once you kind of accept the fact that this is the Church that's connected to the early Apostles, and you understand the depth at which Catholics think about everything, sometimes to the point of, yeah, you know, for a person like me, I go, you got to be kidding. It, it, it can't be that involved. <laughs> but once you understand there's a deep reason why Catholics have come to the various doctrines that they teach. Uh, my position has been, okay, I don't understand it particularly. Uh, it doesn't fit naturally with being a Protestant for 50 years. But if that's what the Catholic Church believes, I'm going to figure out why they believe it and see if I can integrate that into my life. So there's not really been a struggle in that in that regard. And a lot of you know, a lot of Protestants balk at papal infallibility. I just I understand the doctrine of papal infallibility. It doesn't mean everything single thing the Pope says is without error. It just means when he when he speaks uh, from a dogmatic position, which happens so rarely he he reserves that right for very special moments. Right, on faith and, and morals. It doesn't concern me. It just doesn't, and I know that there's plenty of room in Catholicism for vigorous debate about various Sunday things. It's not like you throw your mind away and you become a Catholic and you agree to submit to the teaching of the Church. In fact, it's the teaching of the Church that's solid and thick and really deep that gives me a sense of freedom to think about my faith more than without feeling like I'm going to wander off to some desert of weirdness as long as I'm as long as I'm attached to the Catholic Church and submitting to its teaching it's, it, it, to me it feels like a tremendous freedom right I can I can share with you Mark my own personal experience I, I was just ordained a priest I'm an older I was an older seminarian as a physical therapist before I joined the seminary, but I was just ordained in June of this year. And even in the seminary, there's things that you sometimes wonder why we believe what we believe. And I even questioned in my, in my formation. But when you deeper to see what helps us when we read what we believe, it helps to form in us, yes, the, the church is right on this. It's just in my own mind, I was confused. But if you dive in deeper and seek someone that is a theologian to help you, you can find that there is truth. I mean, 
For 2,000 years, the church has been studying spirit and it's the truth it's and sometimes the truth hurts and we see that in today with morality and the way that people are living their lives the truth hurts and a lot of people that's the problem with society today they want their own form of truth not the truth of god yeah i think it's one thing people have a hard time understanding that the truth can hurt but it's but it's that he it's a healing hurt Absolutely. Uh, it's some, that God, in fact, uses hurt and pain sometimes to get us right. to move right. in the direction yeah. he wants us to move. Our and God is a God can't. of love and mercy. Mark, yeah. I got one more question for you before we before we leave. Uh-huh. You you are a recent convert to Catholicism. For every convert, there's many more that leave Catholicism. You, having become Catholic now, are in the ranks of Elizabeth Ann Seton. G.K. Chesterton, uh, but uh, what would you who is considering joining the Catholic Church? We have about 20 seconds left in this segment. Uh, somebody is listening. Someone who's thinking, what would you say to them, Mark? Uh, just keep exploring and keep asking those questions, because I think if you explore and ask the questions and bring your doubts to the Lord and in your reading of the Catholic Church, I think you'll be more than amazed at what you'll find. Mark, I wish you all the best. You've been a great interview, another inspiring story. I, I hope to visit with you again, to interview you again. Um, and great. I'm, I'm, reading, uh, I'm also reading the article here on The Exchange. Um, th- this is uh, by Ed Stetzer. S T E T Z E R. Ed Stetzer wrote this uh, article on you on September 10th uh, in the publication called The Exchange with Ed Stetzer. Fascinating. Fascinating. I recommend it for reading. Mark, all the best. Thank you for pulling Thank over. You. Okay. You're, you're free right. to go. I wish you a good rest of the day and uh, a good rest of the month. Thank you. Thank you much. Bye. As we move toward the holiday season, and Father Ani and I have our Christmas schedule planned, um, it's coming up on that time of the year, and are you ready for some culture in it as far as music? We're going to talk about the Bismarck Mandan Symphony Orchestra coming up, and this will give you ideas for the orchestra in your listening area. My name is Monsignor Schumacher. I'm your host on Real Presence Radio. I'm here with Mark Ani. I'm here with Romeo Aquinas, the Dalmatian. And we're going to be back in just one moment with some more good interviews. Thank you for listening. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.